everyone to the Elevating Your Potential podcast, where we enlighten middle school and high school student-athletes about the realities of college sports. I'm your host, Jeremiah Gaines, and we are, I'm very, very, very excited about our guest that we have today. Um, today, we're going to be going over housing. Some people call it residence life, whatever you call it. We're talking about when you stay on campus. Um, we have Renee Gibson with us here today. How are you doing? I'm great. Great. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I know a lot of times there are parents and students out there wondering, like, how does this whole, like, student housing thing work when you get to college? So we're excited to have you on to give your wisdom. Um, so just tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you're currently doing. All right. My name is Renee Gibson. I am an assistant director for Residence Life and Student Housing at Southern Methodist University. Uh, I've worked here for about 15 years in a few different areas uh, on campus, but housing is kind of where I started and where I've landed, and I think where I'm going to stay. Um, I um, have two kiddos. I have a 12-year-old, a 15-year-old, and um, I will say that this time in my life has been a lot of fun uh, with, with them and it's also going to be even more interesting as they begin to transition into different aspects of their life and uh, as one almost ready to go to college as well so yes with me. <laughs> so you said you've been um, at the university for 15 years but you've been in housing how long exactly have you been with um, housing okay so if I subtract the three 12 years because I was in transition for three years and then but 12 years in housing, yeah. So you've been in this department for 12 years and you said you're gonna stay in housing. What attracted you to housing and why do you wanna stay um, for the long haul? Okay, so when I was in college, I was an RA. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, at the time, you know, I did the RA thing just because I, uh, it was an opportunity for me to get free room and board, if I'm being honest or whatever. And I also like people and stuff, and it was a great job and all the things. And so, um, you know, I did that in college. I thought it was a lot of fun. I was able to like do programs and like just be social and I don't know, have a great time while just getting my room and board paid for, mm -hmm. you know? And so I never knew at that time that this would be where I would land and that my career would actually be in student affairs and in housing. And so um, I ended up working here or landing in a housing position at SMU kind of by, by a stroke of luck. I was working in uh, corporate America. I was in a management program for Enterprise Rent-A-Car for several years, didn't love that. And then I ended up working for a proprietary school. So lots of people don't know what a proprietary school is. It's one of those schools where like- One of those people. Okay, all right. <laughs> So if you're watching, like, let's say you're home in the middle of the day and you're watching Judge Judy and a commercial comes on and it's like, hey, we're looking for medical assistance or, you know, surgical techs or whatever, call this number. So the number would lead you to me and I'd be the admissions rep. And so um, one of those types of schools where, you know, you, you kind of pay and it, it's a shorter term program and you get a certificate at the end. So I ended up working there for quite a quite a bit of time, like a couple of years. And I just, I don't know, again, that didn't lead me to where I really wanted to be because I didn't feel like I, I was making the connections that I needed to make. And I don't know, I just didn't love it. And so I started grad school here and uh, ended up getting laid off from that job that I didn't love and re realized that there was a, a community assistant job open at SMU. I applied for it and um, ended up getting that position. So it was like a student, a student job. Um, and then within a couple of months, um, a residential community director position opened up, um, a part-time one, like a grad position. 
And since I was in grad school at SMU, um, I was offered that position. And then I did that for a little bit. And then a full-time position opened up and I was like, well, I might as well apply for that. And it was really my husband who was like, you know, I think that you really like this and you're good at it and you need to apply for the full-time job. And so I applied for the full-time job and I was offered that. And then from there, that was just it. And so um, I will say that like my, my little short term and orientation was an opportunity for me to get my feet wet in a different area. But once I was in that area, I realized that, you know, I do like, still working with college students and being on a college campus. I thought, I, I, I like the flexibility of housing. I like the fact that like, I could still work with college kids, but I could also work with young professionals. Mm -hmm. And so that was really what the draw was back into residence life. It kind of gave me every, like all of it in one little pot. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. So building off that, why do you think residence life is so important to a student's experience when they transition into college? Well, I think residence life is important because, you know, it's the first step for, it's kind of like the breakaway, right? You know, you're with your parents for all this time or whatever. And college is really that time for you to like, um, to explore, to kind of develop who you are and to find out who you are. And it's harder to do that when you're living in, in, in the same house as your parents, right? You know, because you still have the influence of your parents. And so um, I think the whole purpose of you living on campus is for you to be able to take what you've been given foundationally from your parents and be able to like put that into practice. And so um, living on campus gives you that opportunity. You know, you're here, everything you need is here. And so it's kind of like that first step before you actually go out into the real world and have to like navigate, you know, getting an apartment and all the things. I mean, you know, you're, you have to live, you're living off, you're not living with people who are going to tell you what to do. And so I just think it's a good way for you to be a part of the campus culture. Like if you're not on campus, it's harder for you to be connected to the things that are happening on campus and living on campus gives you the opportunity to have your hand in as many pots as you want and to still, you know, concentrate on your studies and, and do all the things. So what, what position does, like your position that you're in now, how does that connect to the student experience that's going on? Like, what what do you do to kind of be that um, liaison or spokesperson for the students and advocate for students? Okay, so my position is like, I would say one step removed from the student, right? Mm -hmm. So I supervise the, the residential community directors who directly supervise the resident assistants and they are pretty much the, um, they help the, the residents to kind of acclimate, right? Like they're the first contact. So my, my role isn't to directly like intervene with a student, but like I direct the people who have the first contact with the students. And so I help them to navigate uh, their way through certain issues. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't have student contact at all. Like, um, you know, I do get to work some with the resident assistants and kind of help them out whenever, whenever necessary. But um, my role is basically to, uh, to help those young professionals to, um, to navigate working with student leaders and teach them the best way to um, talk through issues and how to like work with parents. I think that a lot of the times like 
when I handle things that, that come up, it's with a parent. And so like, I feel like my role as a, personally as a parent, I'm able to have that conversation with people, with parents to be able to talk to their students and say, hey, here's what I need or here's how you communicate with your student. And so I think that's, that's kind of how I work with students um, in, some, in, in a lot of ways. There are times when, you know, I may lose an employee and I have to step in and be an RCD again and that is, eye-opening in some, mm -hmm. some respect. I've had to do that quite a bit. And so that's been kind of fun because then I can supervise the students and, you know, kind of help them work through whatever issues they have or, you know, just do their job better. Right. Um, so let's kind of continue. I like where you went with the parents. Um, so this is a little bit, um, I mean, it could be a little challenging for parents as their students are transitioning into school. Um, so what are some of the um, conversations you're having with parents and then ultimately, what do you, what would you like tell a parent whose student is just now transitioning in or they're having issues um, with a roommate or in the um, commons or dorms, whatever you want to call them at um, the school? So the uh, conversations that I have with parents are normally when there is some type of issue. Like, so I, it's not like a parent calls me, it's like, hey, how's it going? Uh, it's generally like, hey, my student is in a pickle or whatever. And so a lot of times parents call me and they don't even want their student to know that they're speaking with me or whatever. And um, a lot of times my job is just to get them to kind of see um, both perspectives. So when a parent is calling me, it's because they are in a situation where they can't solve the problem. And the student is calling them and saying like, I have an issue and I'm like, you know, I don't, I can't fix it. And so you need to fix it for me. And so my job is to coach the parent into being able to coach their student in how to solve the problem. And so a lot of times, you know, when I'm dealing with um, a parent who has an issue or whose student has an issue, um, it's, it's basically me just saying, hey, you know, how uh, can you give me an opportunity to speak to your student to talk through some of this stuff? Or if that's not the case, here's some language that you can use to speak with your student. And so it's talking them off the ledge a lot of the times because I think they're seeing it from one perspective, you know, and their student's issue is the most important thing at that time. Because, you know, as any parent, I know that if my kid called me and they were like frantic and frustrated and like, this is the end of the world, it's gonna make me feel some type of way and, and slightly anxious as well. And my first inclination as a parent is to wanna solve the problem. Like I wanna fix it for them, but we're trying to you know, help these parents understand that you can't fix everything for them and that your student has all the tools that they need to fix the problem themselves. Because nine times out of 10, it's a policy or an email that we sent that they didn't read or you know, they just didn't talk to their RA or they, they didn't talk to their RCD, um, they didn't understand something. And so it's just being able to say, whoa, can we take a couple of steps back and like look at the situation and figure out where it is the miscommunication was and maybe uh, plug in the pieces and, and fix it that way. And so a lot of times I think that when I approach it from that perspective, like, hey, you know what, I hear where you're coming from. I have, I have kids and I, I know how, you, how you're feeling, but here's what I can do. You know, giving people options of like what they can do or what right. you can do for them as opposed to saying, well, there's nothing I can do. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Um, so tell me if I'm wrong. What I'm hearing is that you're, you're trying to create an atmosphere or space to where the students feel empowered, kind of like we talked about earlier about like you're, you're in 
this space for the first time, you're trying to break away. And so you're really trying to empower the students to make decisions. Um, so when you're thinking about that, are there any like specific um, like policies or anything that you have to kind of help? Like, how do you create that atmosphere of empowerment? Because I'm trying to get our students to understand, like, when you get to this space and in the dorm or commons that you're into, like, it's you. And you have to take the responsibility and you have to feel like you can advocate for yourself. So how can we kind of talk to our students about um, probably doing like doing that earlier or when they get to this space, they're prepared for that? Well, I think it's just circling back to them and, you know, making sure that A, that they've read the information, you know, mm -hmm. like you probably already have the information. So just reinforcing that, like, we, we're going to talk to you first. Like, you know, your parent is not the person that we're going to talk to. And so a lot of times, you know, we'll give the parent like some very minimal information or, you know, baseline information. But then we also go back to the student and say, hey, you know, I've spoken to your parent. And so rather than call your parent back, I'm going to need you to call them back. And I need you to communicate that information to them. And so it's, it's that reiteration of like, no, this is your issue. We're going to start with you first. And, um, just trying to remind them that like this is your experience and not your parents experience does that work every time no but i mean we do our best to make sure students and i mean eventually like in the first year it's hard you know because it, it you do want to fall back the students do want to fall back to their parents because you know oh my gosh my parents are paying for this you know they have to help me make this decision but you know it's also giving them like little things like there are certain decisions that you can make on your own you know like if you're not happy with your rooming situation, you're gonna be have, have to be the one to resolve that. Like your parents can't necessarily call, they can call and find out information, but we're not gonna work with your parent to move you. We're gonna work with you to move you into a different situation. You know, your parent isn't gonna be the one who's gonna be picking a new roommate, you know? And so we try to do our best to make sure that the students know what their options are. Here are your options, like, you know, because I think sometimes they don't think that they have options. They think that, you know, oh my gosh, my parents have to make this decision. Well, no, you can make this decision. And this is the, the decision that is, you know, facing you now. And so we do our best to try to make sure that we're communicating directly with the student. The parent is like the last resort. You know, the only time I'm talking to a parent is like if it has gotten to a place where like we have exhausted all other options. And so I, I don't know, I, 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 I'd like to think that we do a good job of telling students in advance, just when, when we send them emails, you know, like all the emails are going directly to the student, they're not going to the parent, you know, and so at that point, that's like the indication that like, okay, this is the info, like we want you to relay the information to your parents, we don't want your parents having to direct you in doing things or whatever. So I think when people apply to college and they, they get accepted and then, you know, like they start getting information from different areas of the, of the university for like housing or whatever, then, you know, that's the stuff you need to pay attention to because those are the decisions you're going to be making. Oh, that I'm glad you went there because I was about to go there with you. So let's go, let's talk about this timeline. Um, so like, let's say someone's accepted to college and then like what happens housing wise? So like, how do I know what kind of housing my university has? How do I know like what emails to expect? What to, how do I know what's an important email to respond to? So can you kind of go through that timeline for our student athletes and parents? Yes, I'll go through it the best that I can. Okay. So usually when you're accepted into a university, I mean, a lot of times when you come on a tour, for instance, like you will, 
you will tour the housing facilities uh, and they'll take you on a tour. Um, here at SMU, we have uh, what's called the residential commons. And so it's a little bit different than uh, some, some universities are still on a, on a, I guess a dorm. We, we don't call them dorms here because um, your residential commons is the place where you live. It's your residence, it's where you, where you uh, study, where you sleep, where you make friends, where you, you know, do all your things. And so it's your home. It's not necessarily just a place for you to sleep. You know, a dorm mm -hmm. is really a place where you just go and you sleep. And so we want this to be a community mm -hmm. and a place where when you leave your classes, you're like, I'm going home. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think what happens is, you know, like, so here we try to set up an environment where, you know, when you come to campus, you can see what type of uh, living quarters you will have and whatnot. And, and we talk you kind of through that. And we do our system where it's random. So it's random selection. You're not necessarily picking a building to live in because, oh, I like the way that the bit, you know, looks in this building or whatever. Um, it's kind of free for all. Um, but we try to offer the same experience. And when we say experience, every commons has a uh, faculty, res faculty who lives in the building so there's a faculty person who lives there who and who's the faculty sorry for those people who mm -hmm. what's a faculty member for those who might not know so the faculty is a professor on campus someone who teaches um, a full-time course on campus or courses on campus and they live in the building and they are there as an academic resource for you um, so if you're having trouble in your classes and you don't really know how to like talk to your own professor you can go to this person who you've established a relationship with because you live in the same place with that person and they can talk you through hey okay here's what I think you need to do and so um, we're trying to break down those barriers between the academics and the social you know and make it all something that feels normal um, and so with that being said I think that uh, so once you come to campus and you see all the stuff and you decide, okay, this is what I'm doing. You've applied to the university. You have um, been accepted. SMU requires you to live on campus for two years. So there's not, it's not an option for you to be able to say, well, I'm not gonna live on campus. Um, the option for us is you live on campus for two years. And so we feel that it's that important for you to live on campus so that you can be a part of the community and get the full college experience. And so that's why we have made it a, a mandatory, it's a university mandate. So um, once you've done that, you will also apply for housing. So you actually fill out an application for housing. And then once, you, once your application's been accepted, um, then you will start to receive emails. And once you've had it, like once you're a student, you receive an email address and all that stuff. And so, you start to get um, correspondence to your email address or even the one you have on file beforehand. And so generally, you know, students are very excited whenever they get accepted somewhere. And so they, they're checking their email or whatever. So I would say initially all the email you get is very important because, you, you know, there's going to be all this preliminary information you have to fill out and things you have to do before you get here. Um, but in those emails, you have deadlines. Like everything is pretty laid out. Like they walk you through every single step of the way. Um, and if not, you can always call. Like there's somebody here all the time that will answer a question for you. Our websites are up to date. I mean, everything is pretty laid out and timelines are very detailed on online. And so I think, you know, you just got to do the research. You got to make sure that you're on top of your game. And that's part of, you know, the growing up. And that's part of the handling things on your own um, is doing that follow-up, you know, making sure that you're, you're staying on top of those things. Yeah, I think you let that out perfectly and very, very well. 
Um, so this one thing I did want to discuss with you. So SMU has co-ed norms. Oh, co-ed, sorry, co-ed commons. Um, how do you kind of, what's the first, let me ask it this way. Why is it good to have co-ed norms? Or not good, but why is that um, a part of the experience? And why did SMU choose to do that over maybe having like two different like housing accommodations? I think we try to do things to mirror the real world, right? Like when you live in an apartment complex someday, you're gonna probably live next door to you, somebody who's different than you, right? I think uh, when you are able to um, mix and have a co-ed type living style, you're able to interact with more people, you're able to diversify your communities a little bit more to reflect what you would normally see in the real world. Mm -hmm. um, back in the day when I was in, oh, no worries. We're good. We're good. Sorry, my light goes out after if I don't move around. Um, but back in the day, like when I was in school, like, you know, we did have all female residential communities and all male. And, you know, it was very, you know, explicit for that, you know, men live with men, women live with women, all the things. But I think our society has been changing. And I think that, you know, um, it's just a better reflection of what you're going to what you're going to see when you move off campus and not only that i think it's very valuable to be able to live with different people you know and to to people think oh my gosh like and it's mainly the parents who are like oh my gosh that's so weird you know but it's not like i mean we, we group them a little bit so there might be two or three boy rooms and then you know a bathroom and then you know a couple girl rooms or whatever but the students really think nothing of it. Like, it's not even a big deal. And I think a lot of times, like, when you make a big deal out of something, that's when it becomes a big deal. But this is the norm. Like, they don't know anything different. And so, like, you just, you know, you could, I mean, we have separate bathrooms, and people just go to their regular bathrooms. It, it just works. And I was really stressed about it when I first started here, because I was like, that's so weird. <laughs> but, like, it's, oh, how's it going to work? But honestly, it's been great. I mean, the students really enjoy uh, being able to be down the hall from their friends and uh, hanging out and stuff. And we just, we really haven't had a whole lot of issues with it. It's really, again, not that big of a deal. Like, it just works. Yes. So on the, along those same lines, I don't know if you know where I'm going here or not. So what about roommate disagreement and issues? How big of a um, thing is that on a college campus? It's a thing. Uh, <laughs> And part of it, I think, is because, like, the way that our society is set up now, like, we don't do a lot of face-to-face -face communication, right? A lot of the communication we have with people is over the internet or behind a computer screen or, like, using a phone. You know, you have people who live in the same room and they're doing this. And it's like, you live in the same room. And so I think that, you know, for the most part, people really don't mind having a roommate and it's actually fine. And a lot of times the university tries to allow the students the opportunity to meet people beforehand so that they can like, so they'll meet people at orientation, for instance. And at that, at that time, if you meet someone who you really connect with, you can request to have them as a roommate, right? Some people go, you know, potluck and it's like, oh, whoever I get, whoever I get. Um, and I would say, I don't know, in the span of a semester, we might have like, if a building has like 250 people, we might have like five or six roommate conflicts 
per semester, you know, and those range from anything. And I think some of it is just, some of it is maybe they're just really not a good match. You know, they're just not a good match for each other. And you don't really know that until you actually live with somebody. But um, for the most part, I think it actually, it works out. And there's sometimes when people disagree about things and then we have the RA come in and they're like, you know, let's talk about it. We try to facilitate, you know, roommate agreements before where you could have those conversations where you set the expectation, like, you know, I'm an early riser. I'm not. How can I do things that might not disturb you early in the morning, being that we're sharing a tight space? Some of the problems come in when, you know, a lot of these students come in and they've never had a roommate before. You know, they got siblings, but, you know, everybody's got their own room. So, you know, it's very rare these, these days when you're sharing a room with your brother or your sister. And so, you know, there's a lot of anxiety that comes, I think, with living with someone else. Um, but we also are very accommodating um, when there is a conflict. You know, we try to, we try our best to, um, to have those students work it out among each other, because I think that that's part of it, right? Learning how to communicate, learning how to disagree with someone um, in a way that's healthy, right? Uh, learning how to advocate for yourself. All those things are um, a part of, of that roommate situation when it when it comes up and so those are the opportunities where we as professionals can come in and try to coach people into into you know seeing things from a different perspective and maybe helping them to work through that and I mean a lot of times that does work you know we'll go in and we we have the mediation and it works and then when it doesn't we do our best to try to say okay if that's not a good situation for you then let's talk through some different scenarios and how we can get you into a better situation yeah and I love it because it seems like it's such you first of all it's a hands-on approach number yes. one and this is all about development 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 and so I think a lot of times we think that learning just happens in the classroom but the thing I love about what well, because I know this personally that it's a holistic experience and everywhere you go you're just learning either about yourself or about someone else right which I think is great mm-hmm. um, one more question about roommates so what if what does the university do about students with disabilities and their accommodations? So we have specific rooms that are designated for students with disabilities. And so we have ADA accessible rooms. Um, If you do have a disability that needs an accommodation, you would go through disability disability services called DAS here. Um, And once that paperwork and all those things have been approved, then it goes through housing and then we do what we can to accommodate that. So here on campus currently, we have several people who have um, service dogs. So we have a couple of service dogs that are are emotional support animals who live in with us, which is kind of fun. Um, A lot of our um, birds, our faculties who live in the building, um, they also have, uh, and our community directors, they also have animals, which is kind of a nice, a nice reminder of home for some students. Um, but some students require, like we've had students who have had, um, you know, wheelchair accessibility. And so we have rooms on the first floor that are accommodating for, for those types of students. Um, in our rooms, in some of those rooms too, if you have a hearing disability, there's um, all, all of the, the bells and whistles to accommodate those things are here on campus. And so we, uh, we do our best to make sure that every student is accounted for and that they have what they need to be successful and live in our spaces. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think that's good um, that we're making sure that every student has, that exp- has a great experience while they're living on campus. Um, so 
something on a more fun note, what are some programs that are happening um, in like the different residential communities? Because you said there's a lot of programming, they get to talk to other people. Um, I know we're in COVID right now, but typically, um, give me some pre-COVID programs and maybe some programs that are going on now, even though COVID is still happening, that makes that experience or that um, commons feel like they're at home. Yeah, so each of our residential communities have uh, a tradition. And so something that is specific and unique to that community, because every community feels different, you know, and we set it up that way to where like not every community is the same. Like, you know, you, you're gonna get a similar experience. However, each community has kind of developed on its own. And so um, pre-COVID, we had lots of great traditional programs that we, we still have done somewhat virtually. Um, it's hard to adapt, you know, obviously to get people to, in, to be involved virtually as, as, as much as it was before, you know, it was easier before, but we're doing the best that we can. But anyways, so um, a lot of the programs are just like, a lot of just fun fun things to do. So like, for instance, um, I'll talk about the Crumpkin. So we have one of our buildings called uh, Crumb Commons. And so they did a program that played off of the Great Pumpkin and it's called the Great Crumpkin. And so it's like a music festival, food festival. And so there was lots of, um, lots of vendors and lots of, um, uh, student-led performances so it's a way for students to highlight their talents um, and there were games or whatever and so the idea is that each building um, has programs that will allow students to feel a part of the community and a lot of these programs are student-run programs so each each community has kind of like a student council for their building it's called um, the, the hub, the housing unification board. And so they have a commons council. So kind of like a student council. And so there's a president, a vice president, a secretary or whatever. And those students are basically the voice of the commons in the community. And so whatever it is that those students decide they want to come up with and do, then we try to make that happen. We have funding for that. And so it's just a way for students to be able to be social and, and to be on campus and to have those experiences on campus. Because a lot of times, you know, students feel like, oh, I need to go off campus and do all these things, when really we're trying to provide as much opportunity for you to do everything that you need to do on campus. Not that we don't want you to see Dallas or go out or whatever, but, you know, I mean, a student may not have a car, may not be able to like get to wherever. So there are options here for you to do things and to, to be involved and to have those experiences. So it's another opportunity too for students to create a leadership experience for themselves. Um, you know, some students come and they have no leadership experience whatsoever. So we try to provide those spaces for them to be able to develop in those ways as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really good, really good. Um, so talking about specific um, student like leadership and development, a lot of the students that we're talking to currently are student athletes. Um, so I want to ask you, are there any trends like either good or bad that you've seen from student athletes as they come into the commons? Um, if not, that's fine, but I just want to see, like, what's your perspective on the student-athlete experience within the conference? So with our student-athletes, um, a lot of times they kind of, we, we do try to pair them with each other because we understand that the schedules are very different than your average student, you know, your, your practice schedules and things like that. However, um, I think our staff do a really, really good job of trying to make, I think sometimes student athletes feel out of place or like not a part of the community because they kind of had their own little bubble with the athletes, you know, with um, athletics and, and all the things that they're doing. And so when they come home, you know, they're like tired, they want to go to bed, whatever. But I, I know that there are some athletes who are very, um, 
they, they really want to be a part of the community. And they're like, you know, yeah, we're an athlete, but we still live here. And so we do our very best to make sure that we get to know each student. Like I would be, it would be hard pressed for me to call um, any RCD and they not know any of their students or their students by name by the, by the end of the semester. They probably know pretty much everybody. And so I know that they do a good job of reaching out to those students and saying, hey, you know, I know you're on the football team or I know you're on the rowing team or whatever, but we're having this program. We want to see you, you know, the student, we want to support you, you know? So a lot of times, like we know that there's uh, several football players that live in our communities. The students will be like, hey, let's get a group of us and we're going to go cheer for number 45. You know, Jeremiah is playing today. We're going to have our signs and stuff. And so, you know, we try to emphasize that community and the fact that like you live here too and we want to be, you know, your cheerleader. We want to go to your events or whatever. And so we do a lot of that, um, that community building in that way so that the students don't necessarily feel like, well, I don't, I don't belong here or like I just belong with my athletic team. No, you belong everywhere. You know, you're part of this community too. Yeah, that's great. I think that SMU does do a, um, a good job of that. A lot of times student athletes don't want to participate, but I think that for the majority of the um, RCEs that you mentioned, they do a really good job of that. Um, so let's shift over. Um, there's a big program or event called Move In that happens. Um, at the beginning of the year and also there's a smaller one in December or like January but can you walk us through the move-in process the big one in August that usually happens and what our students and parents can expect so move-in is like our biggest event like and honestly we, we love it it's like it's like the new year starts for us you know so like you know the new year starts for January January 1st for the rest of the world new year starts August for us we get excited about it it's a big production it was a little bit different here uh, with COVID this year because we spread it out over so many days, but in a general typical year without a COVID or a pandemic, um, we would have all of our first year students move in on the same day. And so uh, it's a campus-wide uh, initiative. We um, have people from all over campus volunteering um, to help students and their families move in. We set up a big tent. You know, we have these laundry bins that we give you you put all your stuff in and we give you an actual student to help you um, move your stuff in a volunteer and um, it's really just that first touch you know it's that that we're welcoming you into our community like now you're a part of us you know it's that opportunity for you to kind of you know kind of say your last goodbyes to your parents and you know do that transition and we do we try our best to make that as smooth as possible so every year we're looking for new ways to to enhance that process and uh, you know add some technology so that it's like an easy touch and go you know simple process but um, you know so it's it's community wide the whole campus participates um, it's a lot of energy we try to uh, set some times for so generally I think you get to pick your time slot and um, once you pick your time slot you come up with your parents and get all your stuff and and I think it's at that time when we were talking earlier about you know you're like well how do you know how do you get the students to be the ones to like take charge or whatever it's at that time where we're like you know we want to talk to the students so from the moment you walk on campus and you're like hi my name is Jeremiah and I'm here we're like all right here's your room number what we need you to do is text your parents tell them what room you're in and that you're going to meet them in just a second and so like a lot of times the parents will want to come up and check in for their student and we're like no <laughs> We need that person over there. And so, you know, we, we try to send that message initially, but it's a lot of fun. I mean, 
everybody is uh, excited about our new class because it's just the potential for greatness is so it's so prevalent, you know, and we, we do try to make it an exciting time because we understand that it's a lot of anxiety. It's anxiety for the students, it's anxiety for the parents, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, like, this is really it and we've been waiting for this time. But, um, and then there's, a, there's really a lot to do in that time. So it's, it's very over, it can be overwhelming mm -hmm. uh, for people, but we try to, we try to break it up to where, you know, at each step, there's somebody walking you through the process. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's really good. Thank you for that breakdown. Um, I did want to ask, so if you're a student athlete and you have a fall sport, a lot of times you're already like in your preseason workouts and everything like that. So you'll still move in there this time, but I'm sure you've already said bye to your parents. I know I started in July and I already had myself there. So I just moved over from wherever our coaches had us over into uh, my residential community. I will stay throughout the, the whole year. So I want to throw that in um, really quick. There's been some terms that we've thrown around a couple of times, like RA, RCD. And so I just wanted to see if you can go over, like, what if, who RAs are? Like, what, like, are they older people, younger? Like, who are they and what they act like, what they specifically do, and also the RCD, so that they can know who, to, who their point people are as they are on campus. Sure. So um, there's, there's kind of, like, tiers, you know. Um, so in the... In the residential commons, we have um, what's called an RA, so resident assistant. And those are just students who are assigned, like there's usually two to a floor. And so um, those are the two people that are assigned to be uh, kind of like your resource um, within, your, within the commons. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a question about like pretty much anything. I mean, they're trained to be able to answer questions about all the things, you know, like, well, hey, Renee, I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, what, where the health center is, you know, or like, what, what, do, what do they do at the health center? Can I, can I schedule a doctor's appointment? You know, questions that you're just not, you just, you're like, I don't even know where to find that answer. Like, they will probably be the ones to know. They're also there to, to ensure that they, that students are, you know, following the policies. Like, we do have policies, just like anywhere you go, you know, there's going to be rules and regulations and things that you have to do. If you have a community, you have some policies that you have to, you know, abide by, rules you have to abide by. And so they're just there to, to essentially make sure that everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. They're not the police. They're not running around trying to document everything they see or whatever. But, you know, they are there to kind of help, na help students navigate how to live within a community. Uh, so that's the RA role. And then we have the RCD, which is also known as the Residential Community Director. Those are professional level people who have master's degrees. They have degrees in uh, usually uh, student development or higher education. And they, um, they are trained to uh, help students in leadership. They are trained to do um, emergency management. They are, uh, they are the ones who help the, the RAs develop programming and educational like curriculum in some instances. Um, and so they are um, not, uh, some people confuse them with like the dorm moms or whatever, or the, like the older people will call them dorm moms and things right. like that. That's not what they do. They're not there to like be anybody's mom, but they're also, they're also an adult, you know, so there is something that you're not necessarily comfortable talking to an RA about and you need more of an uh, adult opinion. That's your resource. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then also, like I spoke about earlier, we have a faculty person who lives on, in, in the building as well. And generally, they, they are there with a family. And so a lot of times, you know, we have um, faculty who have young kids, toddlers, and some have high schoolers. So it just depends on where they are in their personal life. And some of them are just are retired and they, you know, are teaching one or two classes on campus and, you know, their kids are older. So you get the, you get the full gamut, you know, of, of people. But a lot of times we, we want those people to, to feel like they're family, you know, and people that you can go to if you need some advice. Yes. And so piggybacking off that, um, I know SMU has faculty and residents, but am I correct in saying that not every school has that um, faculty member there? And so that's more of the traditional um, dorm room. As you, can you kind of talk about the differences and why, like, experiences that you've had with traditional dorms, if you've had any? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, your traditional dorm, you know, you'll just have, like, the RCD, the RA, and, you know, your, your resident. Some some colleges have not adapted or adopted the residential commons curriculum. And so um, I think a lot of universities are moving towards that where, you know, they're integrating the academics and uh, the social. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just think it's just a different model. So when you, um, so a lot of times if you don't have the, the residential commons model per se with a live-in faculty person, you may be in a situation where you live in a residential community has like that has a living learning type of environment where there is something um, where the the, the particular um, building that you live in is focused like it might be an engineering building where you live with all engineering uh, majors um, so there's different types of setups for uh, different universities and so it just depends on on the model that your university has chosen. We have chosen uh, to do the residential commons because a lot of our peer and aspirant institutions, meaning schools that are very similar to SMU, are moving in this direction. And so for us to be able to continue to compete with those student, with those uh, institutions and to kind of, you know, be in line with them, we figured that it was time, we needed to make a shift. And so it was also, something that was highly encouraged by the university president. You know, he was like, I really want there to be um, a, an integration of academics and, and social um, and, and the students to be able to feel like, you know, academics is not just something I do in the classroom. It's all, you know, all of that stuff. Learning happens everywhere. Yes. So we want that to be a part of what we do here. And so it was a big leap for us to make that change, but I think it's been really, really good in, in, in the long run. I like this model a lot. Uh, not to say that you're not going to get just as much from a traditional model, but I think being able to have that um, different, those different touch points with, you know, having someone who is academically focused and in intellectual within the building is, is super helpful. You know, it's, it, because that's what you're here for. You're here to, to learn and to get a degree. And, you know, it's nice to have somebody at your fingertips who isn't as daunting maybe as your professor to be able to help you navigate that. Yeah, yeah that's really good. I think that brought a lot of clarity. Um, it will help our students like reinforce um, and do some research into what yeah. their actual school is doing. Um, so I have a couple more questions for you. Okay. This one is about COVID. So how has um, residence life kind of changed as a result 
of COVID and what are some things that you all are doing to make sure that it doesn't spread um, mm -hmm. across the community? So COVID has been obviously a challenge for everybody. We spent the whole summer and like end of the fall, some spring semester trying to plan for, for COVID. And so um, as you can imagine, some stuff went well, some stuff we're like still trying to figure out. But, um, you know, we, we decided to go ahead and still allow students to live on campus. We decided to go ahead and allow students to still have roommates and such. Um, we have changed some of our policies. We do have a no guest policy. So um, if you live in your building, you live in your building. Um, if you want friends to come over, that is not an option. So you can meet outside, you can go do things outside of the building, but we have restricted um, access to the building to only people who actually live there. Um, and so that's been one of the things, the major changes that we've done. All of our programming has been virtual. Um, for the most part. Now, depending on what the restrictions were for the city of Dallas, like a lot of our um, practices and protocols have been outlined by the city. And so whatever the city and the state local laws um, are, that's what we do. And so if it's okay for us to have like an outside gathering, then we have proceeded with planning outside gatherings. And so generally we've been able to, to safely social distance um, in that way. We've had to close a lot of our community, like open spaces and our study rooms and things like that, because it's just too hard to, to keep up with the cleaning and, you know, ensuring that people won't meet in more in bigger groups. So um, some of the things that would normally be open within our buildings, like the kitchens and the, the, um, the study rooms and the game rooms and things like that, we've had to close those. Um, and so that's been a little bit difficult, but I think that overall we've, we've adapted well. I think that we've done a lot of grab and go programs where, you know, maybe one RA is sitting at a table and there's like some prepackaged stuff and then you can kind of have that socially distant, you know, conversation or, you know, quickly pass by. So we've done some programs where we have, um, you know, 10 minute increments, like this group comes for 10 minutes, this group comes for another 10 minutes, you know, so we've tried to be as flexible and as creative as we can in our programming. Um, you know, some things have worked, some haven't, and we're still trying to figure it out, but that's just kind of, that's what we've done to try to make it somewhat normal. You know, you have to wear a mask everywhere. That is something that is not um, an option. So like if you're in the building and you're not in your room, you have to wear a mask. Um, when you're in your room with your, your roommate, then you don't have to. But um, we've had to set some really strict rules with respect to COVID and it's only to keep people safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that um, that hopefully that explanation eases the mind of some students and parents as they make that transition. I know sometimes it's just nothing, <laughs> like there's nothing more that you all that I know. You all do. Um, so my last question is, do you have any like last piece of wisdom or advice to kind of ease the minds further of our student, um, students, student athletes and parents who are listening to this? I just think that, you know, as much research as you can do, you know, talk to people, do your research, don't be afraid to call. Like, you know, like we have all of our information out in the directory, like, you know, on camp, like on a website. And if you have a question, you can always call, like someone's always gonna answer your question. But, um, you know, living on campus, living away from home is a part of the process, you know? And I think as parents, the more positive we can be about it and the more that we can try to like, you know, encourage our students to be, um, to ask questions and to be as independent as possible, the better. Um, and parents too, like if you're if you're questioning things, it's okay to call, it's okay to ask those questions to ease that, to, to ease that anxiety. Um, it's, it's really a fun 
experience. I will say, you know, if you're open-minded and you allow yourself to be, uh, to just learn about new people. I mean, it's the best way to learn about somebody new is to live with them, right? And so I think that when you live on campus, you get a great experience um, to be able to be fully integrated into what college really is. And um, not to say that living on campus is a bad thing. You can't do some of those things. I just think that it's, it's, it's so fun to be able to like live somewhere and then everything you need is here. Like, you know, all the resources you need are here. Your friends are down the hall. Honestly, you know, it's, I've seen some people who've come here and they didn't know anybody. And by the time they left uh, SMU, they've made their best friends, you know, and there's just no experience like that. You know, being able to say that, like, you know, I met some of my best friends living in the residential community. We lived down the hall from each other. You know, we got together and played Xbox or, you know, just we were up late talking and, and all that stuff. And so, I think being able to create those memories and, and have those experiences are a part of the college experience itself. And um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I just, I'm fully, you know, I'm not, I know I'm a little biased because I work in residence life or whatever. And I know there's a lot of anxiety around it, but it, once you get past that, then I think, and you see all the fun and all the things that are happening, then that, that easily goes away. Yeah, but, oh, that's that's so good. Thank you so much, Renee. Thank you for joining us today. You, you've given so much wisdom, insight, and gems that I think that our student athletes and students and parents will feel prepared uh, to make that next step. So thank you so much. Yeah. Um, to everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed it. Have a great week.